0: A number of years ago, I was taught something that has spared me some aggravation and maybe even spared me some enemies, maybe made friends. And so I'm going to talk about it a bit from Romans chapter 12, hopefully that I can help you in some situation. And um, the first two verses are very important because they lay a foundation for the rest of the chapter, so let's work at it. Therefore, I urge your brothers, and of course sisters as well, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now I want to explain literally what I see Paul saying here. God is looking to each one of us. We have been saved, hopefully filled with the spirit, water baptized, we are in a place where we're serving the Lord, but to say there's something that holds us back. And that thing that holds us back is the unwillingness to totally yield ourselves to the Lord. He says, "I want you to be a sacrifice." So let's analyze what a sacrifice is first. It was generally an animal, a lamb, a dove perhaps. Sometimes for certain things it was even a goat. But you see, this animal was put to death, and it was laid on the altar, and it was um, sacrificed. The blood was spilled out onto the ground sometimes, other things done with it. But by and large, the animal was was a representative of, of us in the Old Testament, being put to death for our sins. But because God wanted to spare the people he'd created, he now allowed an animal or a bird to sit in in its place. But it was totally unaware of what was going on anymore, totally out of control of controlling anything, Think of a dead animal on a sacrifice. They weren't wasted, by the way. The people ate them afterwards. They were told to eat them, so it was was wasted. But the animal, think of it. No control over its destiny. No vision of the past. You're dead to that. You're dead to everything, all your dreams, ambitions. But Paul said something that needs to be said. He said, I want you alive. God wants you alive. And you see, we go back to some of the things Jesus said in the Gospels. He said, if you um, aren't willing to lay down your life for me, he said, then you're going to lose it. However, if you're willing to lay down your life for me, then you will find life. Now, that's not only the situation in so much of the world where people are striving to find life, but it's, it's a, true in the church as well. So many of us have never caught the concept, if I'm willing to totally lay down my life, then that's where I'll find life. You know, if you want to take Jesus, that example, wonderfully, he laid down his life for the cross, but there's one that I relate to even better, and that's Joseph how he laid down all of his rights, the rights to be in a family, the rights to have brothers that loved him, the rights to have a father that would search for him, the rights to be accepted in Potiphar's house but then rejected out with a lie in Potiphar's house. He was in jail. He gave up his rights to be free. I know all that because he had such a good attitude all the way through it. Potiphar in the house, and then later the jailer saw him, such a such a, a well-balanced young man, they gave him authority. Potiphar gave him full authority of the house. The jailer gave him full authority in the prison. If you're full of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, hey, you're not going to be found favor like that with people that are in authority. And so what What was Joseph He gave up the rights to all that stuff. And what happened? He found life. He became the second ruler under Pharaoh of all of Egypt. And not only that, saved his family from starvation and was able to establish on planet earth the children of Israel with 12 tribes and Joseph's attitude through the whole thing is what God him through it. And so here's Jesus saying, if you're willing to lay down your life, you're going to find it. But if you're not willing to lay down your life, you're going to lose it. I came close to that. And so this living sacrifice, he says, offer your bodies. Now, it isn't just something within my spirit that I'm, yes, Lord, I'll do anything you want, but in my body I do whatever I want. No, it's my body he wants to be totally yielded to him. And so, if I'm willing to do that, lay it down. I want to explain to you how that all works. And so, in verse 2, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Now, stop there. You understand, the old jello moles they used to have, you know, it looked like a bunch of half of a bunch of grapes or or a fish or something, and you put jello in it and it hardened and you tipped it over, dumped it out, and the and the jello looked like the mole. Paul says, I don't want you to be conformed to the world. I don't want you to look like them. You don't have to be weird, just don't follow them. Set your own path that you're going to walk, you see. But he says, in that, I want you to set your path in light of what God wants you to do, not what you want to do. So he says, don't be transformed by the, re- I'm sorry, be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, I'm going to show you in a few minutes why our mind is so important, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So often young people especially, but even middle-aged people, often say, Lord, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I wish years ago I had the answer from these scriptures. If If God isn't telling you what to do, Maybe he's happy where you are, or maybe he has a plan for your life, but he's not telling you because you're not totally committed. You're not dead to your old way of life. You're still living for yourself. And he knows if he told you what he wants, you'd probably hesitate and say, oh, I don't know if you got plan B for me. And you see, you've sinned in your disobedience. He doesn't want to put you in that place of disobedience, so he doesn't tell you what he wants. And so it's important that you realize total yieldingness to the Lord, a living sacrifice to the Lord is what the Lord requires in order that he can then tell you what he wants and lead you through whatever it is he's called you to be. And if you have fears, or well, what if he tells me to do something terrible? My experience has been Before he called me, he would change my heart that I would be delighted with what he's calling me to. And there's many pastors, missionaries, um, evangelists, people that have gone out because they decided, I'm going to die to what I want. Whatever the Lord calls me to, he's going to give me a heart of delight, and I can do it. It says that in Psalm 37. He will give us the desires of our hearts. But the line before that says that we will, if we have pleasure in Him, He will give us the desires of our hearts. He loves us. He doesn't want to make us miserable. Sometimes He will for a short period in order to change us. Because sometimes He says, I love that person so much. I really... Do want to bless them by changing them into my image. So let's look at this picture number one here on your screen. Over in on the one side you see the flesh. On the other side you see the Holy Spirit. Those lines at the top saying that the Holy Spirit demands death. I'm talking to you about that, a living sacrifice. But the, the flesh insists on leading. And so it's against the Holy Spirit. It doesn't want. And so the arrow's going down to that circle that says our will, which is our decision maker. The flesh is trying to influence my decision. The Holy Spirit's trying to influence my decision. And they do it through thoughts and feelings from the flesh. The thoughts we have, the feelings, try to influence how I make decisions. And that's the, that's the mark of the age we live in. Oh, I just feel that's what I'm supposed to do. I have this thought that that's what I'm supposed to do. Listen, but the Holy Spirit has a better way. In picture three, he says he wants to lead us. He wants to lead us in things that are, on nor- are not normal to the old flesh. But the old flesh struggles with that. The old flesh wants to have control. Anybody recognize that in your life? The flesh wants to be in control. That's why Jesus said, we must pick up our cross and follow him. So let's look at the cross. Verses 16 and 17 of Galatians 5 describes this whole battle here. So I say, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Go back to that picture three again. The flesh is saying, but the Spirit is saying, and we make a decision to listen to the Spirit. That means I don't want to do what the flesh says. Okay, let's go on to verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Now, we saw that in those three, in that picture, the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nation. So that battle is going against each other. If you go back to picture three again, Look at it. The top line says the spirit demands death. The f- the bottom line says the flesh resists the leading of the spirit. There's an enmity. There's a war going on. And so we have to recognize Paul here is talking about that very clearly. It's contrary what the spirit wants to the flesh. But I can say what the flesh wants is contrary to the spirit. And see, we have down at the bottom, that picture, Our decision-maker is very important. That's why in that first couple of verses from Romans, it says that we're to be renewed in our mind, transformed in our mind, so we can make the right decisions. So let's go back to Romans 12. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, okay, now we're going to talk about the actual sacrifice, the actual altar, the cross is another word for it this is how I sacrifice myself, this is how I put to death, okay pay attention now, this could change your life he says do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in other words how does God see me God doesn't see me as a more important than somebody else or more valuable than something. He sees us all equally. He sees us all the same way. He loves every one of us. He sees value on every one of us the same just because I have a different job than somebody else that society would say is lower than my job, it doesn't make me more valuable and in my eyes it had better not let me see myself more valuable even though I have a responsibility as the leader I need to say if I'm the manager of a company and the custodian down here I need to see him just as important as I am and respond to him and deal with him that way. That's a sacrifice you have to make because your flesh doesn't want to do that. Your flesh always wants to pump you up in your own mind is important. But you need to say, no, I may have a different position, different responsibilities, but I will treat that custodian with as much love and compassion and care as I would give to someone on my own level. So do not think of yourself more highly. That's the cross when I say no to the old flesh and say yes to the spirit. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In other words, when I see that custodian needing my care, I say, Lord, I have faith, the faith of God in me to treat him the way you would treat him, Jesus, if you were here. Verse 4 says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We're all one body, the Bible's trying to say, and I need to respect every part of my body, just because the third little toe on my foot isn't as important as my whole hand. I still respect it as part of my body, and I'm not going to chop it off or or take a hammer to it just because my hand's more important. Verse six: We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's in contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's in leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. All that stuff is saying your flesh that demands you don't do that because you're you're more valuable, you're a higher position, you say no to it and say my spirit tells me this is what I do and I will do it. You say it's f- humbling. Well, wonderful. That's where God's grace is for you when you humble yourself. James talks about that. Peter says that they both quoting from Old Testament. If we humble ourselves, that's where the grace of God is. And I humble myself by giving to somebody down that works in the cellar of my business, give him the same blessing I would give to someone that's that's in my same level of leadership or above. I'm dying to the old things of my flesh. I'm living for the Spirit. Jesus, in in John 13, he did something very important. He bent over with a basin of waters and washed his disciples' feet. Now, that's the lowest menial job of the culture of that time, the, the lowest. If there's 10 servants in the house and you're the last one to come in, it was your job. And Jesus was saying by doing that, I want you 12 apostles, I want you 12 guys to understand there's no, there's no levels of, of um, society in the kingdom of God. We're all one. It, uh, the, the ground at the foot of the cross, Henrietta Mears said, there's, it's level. We're all equal before God. And so if we have different gifts, Whatever they are, don't elevate yourself above somebody who doesn't have that gift. Don't look down on someone who can't prophesy like you do. Respect everyone, doesn't matter who they are, especially in the body of Christ. If you respect people out in the world that don't know Jesus, you're showing them love. You're showing them what the kingdom of God is like. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That's verse 9. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. I can't say I love someone if I look down because he's below me and therefore I ignore him. I can't say I'm a loving person. Jesus said they will know whether we're disciples or not. The world has been qualified to be fruit inspectors and they can inspect my life, and they can say, I know he's a Christian because he loves, or they might decide, I know he isn't because he just put somebody down in a very unloving way, or he just snubs somebody, or he he kind of with his eyes rolled his eyes saying, "I, I haven't got the patience for this. They see that, and they have every right to say, he says he's a Christian, but the Bible says he's not. I just inspected his fruit and he was lacking. In verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. Hey, maybe a vitamin pill, but spending time with Jesus is going to do much better. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Be nice to people. Even if they're not nice to you, be nice to them. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Conceited is a characteristic of pride. It raises you above people in your estimation, and it hurts people that are being put down because you are treating them with that pride. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I want to spend the rest of my time just talking to you about this whole sacrifice thing. You see, I titled this How We Can Use the Opposite Spirit. When someone comes back at me with anger, but instead of me responding in anger, which my old flesh says it wants to do, Instead of responding the way my flesh tells me to, remember pictures 1, 2, and 3, it was all in it. Instead of responding the way my flesh wants me to, I need to respond the way the Spirit is telling me to. And this whole chapter has to do with, with how I die to the, what my flesh wants and how I'm supposed to live according to what the Spirit wants. People have referred to this as the relationship chapter. It's because it's telling me how to fulfill the second commandment of Jesus. It's not a whole bunch of additional runes. It's simply giving me understanding of the second commandment of Jesus, how I'm to treat my neighbor. doesn't just say how I should treat other Christians. It says how I should treat men love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said, don't do anything to anybody you wouldn't want done to yourself. Jesus said, treat others as you would like to be treated. And so we have this verses here, do not repay evil for evil. When someone comes against me, with verbally or whatever, I need to say, Holy Spirit, help me. Say it instantly, Holy Spirit, help me. Jesus, help me. I don't want to respond out of the flesh. I want to respond out of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me. And this is what happens. When you respond in love, in patience, now we could look at 1 Corinthians 13, everything that love it. This is what love is. When you are patient with someone, that's love. When you are long-suffering with someone, that's love. Starting at verse 4, when you don't envy other people, that's love. When you don't boast about yourself, you're more concerned about them, that's love. When you're humble instead of walking in pride, that's love. When you're not not rude but gentle with people, that's love. You're not self-seeking, you're not looking for, hey, look at me type thing, talking about yourself all the time. When When you're focused on the needs of others, that's love. You don't, you're forgiving, that's love. You see, all those things say, that's what love is. So, as I respond in a loving way, read 1 Corinthians 13, verse, starting at verse 4. Get that into your heart. Those are the characteristics of love. When I am patient with somebody, that means I love them. When I am not patient with someone, that means I don't love them. And so it says, if I'm going to return evil for evil, that's a sin. God, Jesus said, don't do that. Paul says, don't do that. What I need to do is say, I'm going to respond to them with the opposite of how they came against me. That's why he says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In other words, I'm not trying to please people. I'm trying to please God with the way I re- respond to you. And in verse 18, I love it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." Now if you say, I have to slip to verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so this is the verse where it says, I can respond in a different way with what's coming at me, and I'll overcome the evil they're throwing at me with something good, you see. And you see, in the verse before that, in verse 20, it says you can heap burning coals on his head. I have never fully understand that. I'm not sure if anybody does, but one person described it this way in my commentary. He says, when you respond in a totally different way than what came at you, that response that you give instantly shows him he was wrong in his presentation and that's embarrassing and embarrassment causes a flush some people their their countenance might even turn red for a moment just out of that embarrassment of of realizing they were wrong in what they did and maybe that's the burning coals on his head i don't know but he says do not overcome be not overcome by evil but overcome evil with good that simply means to me the good that I respond to from the evil that's coming at me. God says, I overcome that evil. Let me put this way. I've experienced this where I've actually seen the person's face. They were disarmed. They were looking for me to respond and have a fight out of it. But they, they, I was, what I said, disarm them. I know it works. I know it works, Father. You are the one who can guide us day by day. First of all, we're asking minds, people listening to this, our minds will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We can start to think like you, Jesus, and act like you, Jesus. Whenever people come against us, we will meet them with love instead of evil. And so, Lord God, we ask you for each person listening, Help them put them into put this into practice, Lord. Let this be a new experience for them. In the name of Jesus, I do thank you. Amen. God bless you.